0: of Aragon, chapter nine. was merry it was autumn and the leaves were falling from the oak trees that stood in the king's hunting park at greenwich the air was crisp and clear and sometimes we ladies would accompany the hunt seated on white palfreys with gowns of velvet tipped with fur the ladies were a glowing addition to the party i was never on a palfrey maybe following on a spare nag The days were full of gaiety and fun. Early starts, chases through the forest, and late afternoon returns to a hearty supper at the palace. The court was no longer on progresses and had settled again at Greenwich Palace, one of the Queen's favourite places. But it was more than sport that brought the light to my dear Queen's eyes. Dancing through her chamber, waving a piece of paper, she paused to kiss me on the top of my cap, skipping over to Maria Lady Willoughby, embracing her in a flurry of red silken sleeves and rose oil. ''Princess Mary is to come to court. She tells me here she has been commanded by the king.'' Tears were streaming from her face as she looked again at the paper, almost afraid that the import of what Princess Mary had written might have changed. She will be here for Christmas. See here, she says that she will obey the king, her father, with all due speed. I shall be seeing her before the month is out. I looked across at the queen and smiled at her joyousness. I knew she had been asking the king to allow Princess Mary to come to court. She had tried persuasion with honeyed words and rich wine. She had tried reason referring to the need for the dynasty to show itself and its future. And finally, she had begged him on her knees. She liked to do that because she knew it made King Henry uncomfortable. While he thought that every subject owed him such obeisance. to have his mature, steely queen abasing herself in front of him was embarrassing. However, he had resisted telling her he would have to consult with his privy council. Then she had heard nothing. I felt for her, as she had looked across at the king day after day, looking for some sign from him. But he had said nothing. There was nothing like the closeness between the two of them that there had been when I had first eavesdropped on the royal couple. Yes, they were together every day for splendid meals, for dances and parties... But he didn't drop into her chambers for a soothing word of advice very often now. And those cosy times, when they had sat together playing cards, were long gone. It had taken a letter from Princess Mary to inform her that her wish had been granted. I'd noticed the distance between them that existed, but I hadn't been particularly worried. They were king and queen and would continue to be so, whether or not they were close. Lady Mary Carey was no longer at court. She had retired to Suffolk to have her second child, a little boy called Henry. He takes the king's name, said Lady Elizabeth Boleyn, his grandmother. She never said it, but we all knew that this baby was sired by the king. Yes, he hadn't recognised either of his children by Lady Mary Carey, but they were acknowledged by William Carey, her ever-obliging husband and thus scandal had been averted. Lady Mary was still in Suffolk. The whisper was that the king's eye had fallen elsewhere. But for the queen there was no humiliation, no usurpation of her place by the king's side, and so matters had improved. I was sent with the queen's orders to the merchants who supplied her with fine fabrics. This Christmas she would be at her most magnificent.' And Princess Mary will need new gowns, the Queen said. There is nothing of style in the Welsh marches. I hurried through the outer chambers of the royal apartments, headed out to find a boat to take me upriver to London. My thoughts were interrupted suddenly. Mistress Cat, how goes it? A handsome young man inquired. I started and turned to look at him. It was Will. "'taller and broader than the last time I had seen him, "'dressed in a fine black doublet and hose. "'Will, why are you still calling me mistress? "'We know each other too well for that, surely. "'What are you doing here, anyway?' "'I looked up at him, at his curly, dark hair, "'his brown eyes sparkling with fun, "'and his lean, tanned face. "'I couldn't help it, "'but I found myself admiring his muscled legs "'and his broad chest.' so well shown off by the fashionable clothes he was wearing. "'Daughter, some may say "'that I should not speak of these things to you, "'but will is part of my story, "'and it is important that you know everything.' "'This was the time when we both began to realise "'that things had changed between us. "'You're a lady now, Cat, "'and I was paying you respect,' he said. "'I'm here with Master Cromwell,' He works for the Cardinal now. He's sent me to fetch some documents from his house. Are you going up river? Yes, I am, I said. The Queen wishes to order some fabrics for the Christmas gowns. She's in a hurry. She has just now learnt that Princess Mary will be here for Christmas. Then let's go together, he said, steering me towards the steps where a skiff was anchored, the boatman sitting between the oars. He held my waist as if I were precious, and then stepped in front of me onto the boat, handing me down beside him. This was strange, from Will, my brother, my childhood companion. While he would have protected me with his life, he would never have treated me like fine-blown glass. "'Hey, Will, what are you doing?' I asked, but he ignored my question. "'Westminster,' he said to the boatman, as we settled ourselves at the stern of the boat." I'm glad I saw you. I've wanted to ask you something, he said. I was planning to visit you now that you are back at Greenwich. He took my hand in his. His hand was warm, his nails clipped and clean, except for a couple of ink blots. I could smell the warm green scent of cedar as he sat beside me. The boatman rowed on, his face impassive, the oars feathering the water with every stroke. On either side of us, Royal London unfolded in all its majesty. Cat, we're not brother and sister, he said, and it's right that we recognise that. But we are still brother and sister in spirit, I cried, afraid I would lose him again. No, we are not, Cat, and I am glad that is the case. I looked at him puzzled. Inside myself, I had a small hope that he might be about to say something I'd hardly dared to think, and yet the sensible part of me dismissed that out of hand. Cat, the last few times we have met, I have uh, I have found myself having feelings for you. Feelings? We will always care for each other, Will. I had to keep my feet on the ground. More than that. No, different to that. You will always be in my heart, Cat. That doesn't change. But as a sister, no. He shook his head, took a deep breath and looked into my eyes. Cat, I would like to pay court to you. That's just not possible, Will. What about Tom, our father? We were a family, brother and sister. He was our father. He can't suddenly change to see me as your sweetheart. We must, of course, speak to my father, Will said calmly. But he knows that we are not related. He will not stand in my way. He stroked my hand very gently, slowly moved his fingers up and just inside my sleeve. I gasped. This was something I had not expected, though I had maybe dared to dream about it. "'You're an idiot, Will. What do you want with me?' "'I have seen you grow into a woman. You're beautiful.' "'Beautiful?' I laughed scornfully. "'Yes, indeed. You are lissom, lovely, with your red-gold hair.' He stared intently into my eyes. "'I know how you survived when Mother died. You were so brave. "'And you're clever. You have your own mind.' I would give my all to have you stand beside me through life. I am not interested in any man, I insisted. I want to stay with the Queen. He smiled at me. His warm, dark eyes suddenly made me feel very strange. I will change your mind, Cat, I promise you. We can have a good life. I will be a lawyer, Master Cromwell says. You will have fine clothes. A good house and a good name. You will no longer be a foundling. No, I will always be a foundling until I discover who my parents were. Your kindness makes no difference to that, will. I am not being kind. I am being selfish. I want you, Cat. It may take years, but it's you I want. December came and the court was fasting for the Advent season. No eggs or meat were eaten by us at this time, and in the Queen's chambers, prayer and contemplation replaced music. The Queen wore plain brown or grey gowns with an austere gable hood. And yet, while her face was solemn in respect for this holy time, her eyes twinkled, and very often a smile would break through. The household was frantic, with preparations for the Christmas celebrations. The Queen held meetings with her Chamberlain and the cooks about the delicacies that would be prepared to feed the court and all the courtiers. There was to be peacock, roast boar, venison and hare. The cooks were planning pies of pigeons with dried apricots and mincemeat with candied oranges. For the first time this year, a strange new bird would grace the banquet table, a turkey. I saw one once, an ugly, large bird with a hanging chin. But, as the cooks promised, its size meant that it could be stuffed with chicken, partridge and finally pigeon. Every day, sacks of dried fruits, nuts and spices were carried into the kitchen to make the sweetmeats and pastries that were part of Christmas for us. In the Queen's chambers, we were busy sewing Most of the ladies were embroidering silk shirts with black work to give to the king for Christmas. They would hope he in turn would give them a pendant jewel or a girdle embossed with precious stones. The queen worked particularly hard. Her shirts for the king were beautifully detailed with intricate patterning of flowers and fruits around the collars. She was proud of the fact that she still stitched her husband's shirts, no matter how grand she was. Then there were visits of tailors and semstresses with new state gowns to inspect, some for the queen, some for the princess. Queen Catherine had decided that she would wear a deep crimson velvet gown studded with yellow diamonds with a cloth of gold petticoat underneath. For Mary there would be a purple velvet gown which was a match to her father's imperial robe. She would wear a rope of pearls, a golden crucifix and a brooch of a Tudor rose blooming out of a pomegranate the twin badges of her father and mother. The ladies of the court were also considering their wardrobes and ordering new sleeves or fresh edgings of fur to refresh... For me, Queen Catherine had given some fine woollen worsted of an apple green and the tailor had fashioned it into a gown which showed off my high breasts and small waist. Together with a sunny yellow kirtle, and sleeves that were daintily edged with rabbit fur. I felt that I would be a fine lady this Christmas tide. Maria, Elizabeth, Anne, the Queen called out, beckoning for her ladies to come to the window. See, it is the messenger in advance of the princess's arrival. We all clustered around, peering to get a look. Quick, Maria, fetch my silky torn gown and the black velvet hood. Cats, send the message to the king. We must be ready to greet the princess. Tell the musicians to make ready. The trumpeters will be standing by. Ladies ran in different directions, some answering the queen's commands, some straightening their own hair and making sure their hoods were securely fastened. Only Anne Boleyn stood there with her shapely finger to her mouth, as if contemplating the Christmas to come. Anne, come with me. Lady Elizabeth Boleyn commanded her daughter. We must put out the jewels for her majesty. Hurry now. We have maybe one hour until the princess arrives. Princess Mary would be making the last part of the journey by river. I slipped outside to a small hill just above the bank. The Queen's barge had already departed to meet her, with pennants flying and musicians playing. The landing stage was quiet without it as a crowd of courtiers assembled, rubbing their hands, their breath misty in the cold air. They talked to each other, subdued yet excited. Princess Mary had not been seen at court for 18 months. Now she would be nearly a woman, nearly ready to take hold of her position as the king's heir. Eventually the crowd spied the king's barge, edging its way along the misty river. The sound of distant cornets could be heard, playing martial music. Every now and then, the gold-embossed decorations of the barge flashed as the sun penetrated the cloud. Nearer to the palace, a flourish of trumpets paid a fanfare. The king and queen emerged, walking together, surrounded by their most eminent ladies and gentlemen, to meet the princess. The king looked impatiently towards the barge, making its way noisily along the river. The Queen looked calm and serene, but I knew what emotions were working underneath that mask of majesty. As we had rushed to get ready, she had been both crying and laughing. She'd stripped down to her kirtle for us to lift the heavy state gown over her head uh, and wiping the tears from her eyes and then jumping for joy in her stockinged feet. But now she was the Queen and there was no hint of tears or laughter. She knew that everyone there would be watching her and her daughter. She knew that she had to give no hint of weakness or emotion. If the throne was to pass to her daughter, there must be no talk of women's emotionality or feebleness of spirit. I looked down to the barge. I could see Princess Mary now standing near the front in a deep maroon velvet gown Topped by a cloak edged with black sable, she stood still and brave, a small figure flanked by the larger forms of her household courtiers. She was slim, but still low of stature. Her cheeks were pink in the cold, and her eyes were bright. How she must be looking forward to seeing her parents, I thought. But for her, like for all of them, her emotions would be hidden. I knew then that the days of us sharing our schoolbooks had long gone. She was destined to be Queen of England, while I, who knows, I was destined to be a serving maid for all of my life. A couple of hours later, after all the speeches and the formal embraces, the Queen blew into her chambers, accompanied by the King and the Princess Mary. Sweet Jesus, it is cold out there! Queen Catherine cried, pulling her gloves off and then handing me her cloak. Your Majesty, she addressed the king, will you deign to join us for some sweet wine and almonds to ward off the cold? He had gone to stand in front of the fire, followed by his daughter. He turned. Yes, of course, wife. Here, my princess, let me embrace you. He held out his arms and Princess Mary ran into them. He folded himself around her small figure, almost crushing her and then standing back to look at her before he clasped her again. "'My Mary, my princess, you are grown into a lioness,' he said, planting a kiss on top of her cap. She hugged him again and then turned to her mother. "'Mama,' she cried." and her eyes brimmed with tears. The Queen's eyes were also wet. She bent and picked up her daughter, holding her as if she would never let her go. Mary, 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 my lovely girl, I have missed you so much. I have prayed every night for you, my little rose. Are they feeding you well in Ludlow? You look so small, Steele. Indeed, Princess Mary would always be small. Unlike me, she never grew. But then she had a difficult time of it growing up. Soon the family were settled by the fire with crystal glasses of hippocras in hand and eyes only for each other. Princess Mary had recovered from her tears and was soon telling her parents about the Lords of the Marches her strict governess, the Countess of Salisbury, and the terrible weather. Oh, that rain, Queen Catherine sympathised. I remember it so well, day after day, in that grey old castle, with wind and rain all around. It was so miserable, she laughed and took a sip of her wine. The king looked at her and his eyes hardened. He never liked her talking about her time at Ludlow as the young wife of his brother, Prince Arthur. But my brother kept you merry, Catherine, did he not? He said pointedly. She stopped laughing. Oh, we hardly saw each other. He was unwell for so much of that time, poor boy, she sighed. I never knew that joy I have with you, dear husband. King Henry looked at the floor. It was almost as if he wanted to say something, but couldn't quite bring himself to do so. For a moment, he was silent. Yes, indeed, Catherine, but too much about the past. For now, dear daughter, we prepare to welcome you for Christmas with much joy laughter and song. Christmas Eve came and vast branches of holly and garlands of ivy were brought into the apartments. Flowers were placed in all the apartments and over spinning wheels and needlework boxes. There was to be no work for twelve days except that which went towards the great feast of Christmas. Everywhere there was the sound of musicians tuning up practising the songs and dances that they would be playing for all the great lords and ladies of the court. Every corner was filled with old friends catching up with news from the country and doings in the town. The rushes on the floor were fresh and fragrant with lavender, rosemary and chamomile. I loved Christmas at court, daughter, and that one was special. I look back on it now, daughter, and remember the happiness of that time, when no one was afraid and the future seemed secure. Christmas Day and the Great Hall was jammed with people. The royal family sat at the top of the hall on a dais, surrounded by the greatest of their courtiers. King Henry wore the royal purple embossed with rubies and lined with ermine. Queen Catherine was in crimson and gold, "'while Princess Mary echoed her father's colours. "'As they looked below at us, "'they must have seen a crowd of familiar and unfamiliar faces, "'all flushed with drinking good wine "'and whooping and waving at friends across the vast hall. "'Christmas was a time when the rigid decorum of the court was relaxed "'and the hall was noisy with laughter and singing. "'The king rose from his throne and took his daughter's hand.' The hall fell silent. He led her down the steps of the dais to the head of the great hall. Motioning to the musicians, he led the tiny princess in a stately galliard while the queen watched her face beaming with joy. Behold my daughter, Princess Mary and do homage to her. The king boomed as the dance finished. Immediately, all the gentlemen bowed and the ladies curtsied. This was Tudor power, the king and his heir, and no one could gainsay it. Princess Mary stood there, her red little face triumphant and determined. She knew at this moment that she was the future, and that whenever this vast, powerful king went to meet his god, it would be her would take on his mantle. Soon the general dancing started with the tables being pushed back to the walls and the dishes of the Christmas banquet being replaced by flasks of wine and small bowls of dried fruit and nuts, march confections and tarts of quince paste and almond. Queen Catherine retired to her chamber which she often did when the official ceremonies were over. I knew I should go and join her but I wanted to stay a bit longer and watch. The king's sister, Mary, who had married the Duke of Suffolk, was leading the floor, dancing first with her husband and then with George Boleyn. King pulled Lady Elizabeth Boleyn up to dance while her husband looked on indulgently. John Skelton, the poet, was sitting in a corner with a full glass of wine and a quill while Princess Mary sat with her governess munching on a bowl of sugared almonds. She looked tired and like the small girl she really was. I noticed Anne Boleyn leaving the hall. I guessed she might find the merriment boring and be going back to her chamber to read some of Thomas Wyatt's poetry. The music was getting louder and I felt a little tipsy, having drunk more wine than I normally had. I felt a little sick and my head was spinning. My eyes blinked in the must light of all the candles. To tell the truth, I wasn't used to the strong wine we were all drinking on that Christmas night. I left the Great Hall, trying to find a quiet place where I might compose myself before returning to the Queen's chambers. I walked along through chamber after chamber, feeling giddy and a bit out of control. At last I came to a quieter part of the palace where the candles did not blaze. Finding an alcove in the wall with a window that looked out over a small garden, I decided to sit for a minute while my head steadied. I heard a soft, slow sigh. It was a woman, sounding as if she had found her heart's desire and yet doubted it. Then a man's whisper, My love, my love, low, urgent, lovers. Of course, at Christmas, so many couples flirted, danced and even kissed under the mistletoe. I'd seen it many times before at court, but this was more sober and more meaningful than that. I drew back into the alcove, afraid that the couple would see me, making myself as small as possible, I crouched into a ball and peeped out. I could see the couple now, dark in the shadows. The woman was tall and slender. I could not see her face. It was held between the two large hands of the man who had bent his lips to hers. The tall, broad man who could take any woman he wished. The king. I knew at once that if I was caught, I would be in trouble. Freezing against the window, I waited, my heart beating. I didn't want to see what I saw, daughter. I didn't want to see the king, my queen's husband, whispering how much he loved this lady. While she kissed him ardently, she would not allow his hands to move below her shoulders. No, no, your majesty, I cannot, she whispered desperately. Well, she wasn't Mary Boleyn, for sure. Anyway, she had not returned to court after the birth of her son. This lady was not about to allow the king any liberties. And yet, every time she repulsed him, she gave a little sigh. Was that distaste or suppressed desire? It seemed as if she kissed him back that she was longing for him. I saw the pearls on the edge of her French hood, her white hands, which she twined around his neck. I am not my sister, your majesty. I cannot be your mistress. Anne Boleyn, how could it be her? She who had so disapproved of her sister, Mary, who had been so determined not to be any man's plaything. And yet it was her for I caught a glimpse of her face now in the candlelight. Her dark, intelligent eyes glowed and there was a touch of a blush on her cheeks. But she was standing back now and raising her head to look at him. "'Your Majesty, I wish you Merry Christmas,' she said formally and sunk into a deep curtsy. "'No, no, Anne, I am not your king. "'I am your servant and would be your lover.' he replied his voice deeper and warmer than usual he raised her up and made to kiss her again but she pulled back your majesty henry you are not fair to me she spoke calmly and yet there was an edge to her voice i am in service to the queen the queen will turn her face away dear anne she is well used to doing so I thought to myself how much dear Queen Catherine had suffered in doing exactly that and I felt angry with him. I may be a strange woman, daughter, but it has never seemed to me to be right that a man can pleasure himself with any number of women, while us women are meant to be pure and chaste. Your Majesty, I do not want this. I do not want to be something the Queen turns her face from. I do not want to be an open secret at court when all will talk about me behind my back. I tell you again, I am not my sister, Anne insisted. But you are one hundred times more bewitching, more intelligent than any woman I know, he protested, seizing her again in his arms. She resisted at first and then softened and pressed herself against him. For what seemed like an age, they stayed in each other's arms, unable to move. Finally, it was the king who pulled back. I must bid my daughter good night, sweetheart. I would stay with you, but I cannot. Immediately, Anne swept to the floor in a deep curtsy. Your Majesty, good night. He motioned for her to rise, but was already walking across the chamber. Good night, sweet Anne. I shall see you at the joust in the morn, he threw back as he left the chamber. She stood still for a moment, tidying her hair and fixing her hood. Then she turned to leave the chamber. As she did, she saw me cowering in the alcove. Cat, what are you doing here? You should be with the Queen, she accused me, her fierce eyes burning into me. "'I was a little scared, but also angry. "'I'm afraid to say, daughter, that often my anger will get the upper hand, "'as it did on that night. "'You cannot talk about the Queen. "'You are betraying her just as your sister did. "'You talk of being a chaste woman, "'but all is that is lies. "'You are headed for the King's bed. "'Why, cat, you have claws,' she said, amused. "'But I tell you this, cat, "'Be careful who you scratch. "'Now, forget all of this. "'I do not wish the Queen harm. "'It was just a Christmas kiss. "'One of many tonight, I'll warrant. "'I am not headed for the King's bed, Cat. "'Why should I be? "'I will grace no one's bed but my husband's. "'I am not allowed to marry Percy, "'and Tom Wyatt is married already, "'so I shall die an old maid, just like you, Cat.' She made a joke of it. It was well known among the Queen's ladies that I did not wish to marry. But he wants you and he is king. He will get his own way. I know it, I insisted. I tell you this, Cat, and I tell you now. I will grace no man's bed except my husband's. She came up to me and took my face in her slim hand. Now! Go to the Queen and warm her bed for her. She needs you, cat. Her marriage bed is cold. She swept out towards the noise and the gaiety of the revels, leaving me standing alone and shivering.